Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. As we're getting ready to transition, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Haggai chapter 2. All right, so this is where we're going to be camped out together this morning. And um, one of the things, I just want to go ahead and mention this. If I say Haggai or Haggai, exact same book. All right, so growing up, I always would have said Haggai, but apparently the the books of the Bible song that we play for the girls, it says Haggai, and for some reason it comes out. It's the same book. We haven't changed books, so Haggai chapter two is where we're going to be together this morning. A very little obscure passage, but I think it's a beautiful picture uh, for us, but as as you're flipping there, One of the things that we do at church every single week is we start our service by just having a time of silence. Because here's the reality. When you guys walk through that door, it's not like a magic eraser where everything that's going on in your life is erased and you're completely ready to go. That that doesn't happen. We all have thoughts. We have things that are going on. Maybe there's a, a... Maybe you had one of those moments in the car with your kids, and that's on your mind. Maybe you've just had some, had some stuff. And so what I want to encourage you guys to do, we're going to take about 45 seconds to a minute. We're just going to close our eyes, and we're just going to be silent. And I just want to ask you to pray. So what the first thing I want you to do is I want you to pray for you. Pray that God would speak to you, maybe in a way that he never has before. When you're done with that, pray for the person next to you that God would speak to them in a way that they can truly hear his word and, and can hear what he has to say. And finally, if you would, pray for me. Pray that God would speak through me and that it won't be my words that you hear, but it'll be his words uh, together this morning. So let's go ahead and pray together. Father, in this time of silence, thank you for our opportunity to push back on the hurry of our world and just be with you. And God, I just pray that you're with us here over the next few minutes as we dive into your word, God. I pray that you will help us to to truly be impacted by your word. God, it's my prayer every single week that, that we don't leave unchanged. God, that we allow your word to transform us, to change us, and and to move us as we walk through the out of the door, that we are not the same as we were when we walked in. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be glorifying to you. You are my rock, you are my redeemer, and pray that you will have glory in this place this morning. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So growing up, I had a, in my early teenage years, I had a number of dirty jobs, like nasty stuff, the jobs where there was a reason that they hired teenagers for, because no one else wanted to do it. Um, so one of the jobs that I had growing up was I was, I was a potato grater. Anybody pot- grated potatoes before? All right, so if you open a bag of crisp or, or potato chips, if you open a bag of potato chips, if you notice there are no rotten potatoes in there, there's a reason for that, because there has been someone who has picked them out hand by hand and threw them away. I did that job for four years, and here's the thing about potato dirt. It gets everywhere. It doesn't really matter if you have gloves, you have boots, it's going to be in between your toes, it's going to get in your belly button, it's going to be in your fingernails, you're going to blow it out of your nose for days. It's just what happens with potato dirt. Really gross, nasty job. Another job that I had the privilege of doing is my grandpa owned some hog farms. And one of these, yeah, it's 
bad story, right? All right, so he owned some hog farms, and I don't know if you guys know this, but the way that, that hogs stand, they, they stand on this like concrete floor that has like slits like cut in it for their, the bowel movements to fall through the floor so they don't just like lay around in there. But you know what happens after a while? Those concrete floors start to break, and you have to go in with like a, a pickaxe and sledgehammer and bust them up, scoop them out, put it in a wheelbarrow, take it out to a pile. But it's not just the concrete you're taking out. And of course, it was 100 degrees, 100% humidity, no wind blowing. And my grandpa, he actually couldn't smell anything. So he was like, this isn't bad. It was terrible. (laughs) That's not the worst dirty job that I've ever had. Here's another, here's a picture uh, of one of my dirty jobs, the next picture that's popping up on the screen. Uh, So I used, I worked for my dad for a little while at a propane company. And so we were going and, and this lady had some leaks under her house. And so we were going under, and she was like, hey, sorry, there's been some flooding under the house. It's a little wet. And I'm like, you know what? You, 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 you're, you have a leak. It's not a good thing. I'll go under there. We'll get it fixed. And so I'm going under the house. I'm putting in new pipes, piping everything back up. And, and I start to realize, yeah, you don't have flooding under your house. As I crawled under the house a little while, the, uh, the pipe that connects the, uh, the toilet to the sewer, that was off. So if you look at this picture, start realizing what this is. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. And so what ended up happening is like I just came out of there and the guy I was working with, he just took a pressure washer and pressure washed me. I took my shoes off. I'm like, nope, not even taking you home and just threw them straight in the rubbish. Even that wasn't the dirtiest job I've ever had. I had a a crabbing career one day. All right. One day crabbing career. And so when we were going and and I got on the boat, we woke up at four o'clock in the morning. Did you guys know four o'clock comes twice? Go figure. All right. So we had to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go and get on this boat and I'm going, I'm crabbing and it's, it's gross. And you know, you're shaking the crab pots out. And that the, the thing that got me wasn't the early mornings. I hate mornings. Not really fond of afternoons either, you know, like, but, like, but it, it wasn't the early mornings. It wasn't even the crabs that like fall on the ground that you got to pick up and put in the box. It was the eels that would get stick in the cra- stuck in the crab pots. And he's like, just grab those out and throw them out. I'm like, yeah, not happening. <laughs> and, and so like, that was it. it. It took me about 13 minutes before I, my, my crabbing career was retired. But here's what happened. When I got home that day, after my one day of crabbing, and also, like, this is just another little part of the story. My mom told the man, like, hey, you don't have to pay him. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to get my $50, which seems like child slavery, but yeah, I'm going to get my $50 for this. But, like, what ended up happening, though, is, like, fish smell everywhere. It's like in my clothes, in my skin, it's like I just took off all of my clothes and I put them straight in the rubbish. I knew I was done with this and I just threw them straight away. I'm done. And I go and I get a shower and I wash my hands and all I smell is fish. And so my grandpa used to say this thing, hey, if you wash your hand with toothpaste, it'll make it smell better. So here I am, I'm taking toothpaste up and down my arms, I'm scrubbing it all, and then I just smell like minty fish. It doesn't get any better. I'm like, okay, coconut oil, let's try that. And I'm like glathering coconut oil. Now it's minty fish, coconut, and it's terrible. Like, gasoline, that'll do it. And so I go to the garage, I pour gasoline on my hands, and I scrub that, and then I just smell like some concoction of something that's probably gonna make a bomb, but I still smell like fish. It was terrible for days. Every time I would go to take a sip of something, I was like, can't do it. I could barely eat. It was, it was terrible because here's what began to happen is it had a way of transferring into everything. And as we open up the book of Haggai chapter two today, that's what we're going to be 
That's what we're going to get ready to see. So in Haggai 2, starting in verse 10, Haggai is going to start with, with some rhetorical questions for us. These aren't really questions that are meant to like answer. These aren't really like table quiz questions where you can like get in, get 10 points. Like he's just kind of asking some questions to help us understand what's going on. So if you have your Bibles, Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, here's what he says. On the 18th of, or on December 18th, of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of heaven armies says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person, then touches any of these foods, will that person, will that food become defiled? The answer is yes. And so here's what's being considered for us. Here's what Haggai is wrestling with, this idea of holiness and defilement. And so the, the questions, let's summarize what is being asked. Can something that is holy, can it transfer its holiness onto other things? The answer? No. Is something that is unholy and defiled, can it transfer its, its defilement onto other things? The answer is yes. And so the message begins to be, the message is in these verses is that we can't transfer holiness onto other things, but we can surely transfer defilement onto other things. So here's, here's the summary of this. Is usually uncleanliness is more contagious than cleanliness. Usually, uncleanliness is more contagious than cleanliness. I mean, just think about this in a really practical sense. Back to potatoes for a second. Take two potatoes, lay them beside one another. You have a rotten potato and an unrotten potato. Is the unrotten potato going to make the rotten potato unrotten? It's a lot of rotten in a sentence, but what? no, what's going to happen? What is the rotten potato going to do? It's going to contaminate the clean potato, right? This is what we start to see what begins to happen, and this is what Haggai is getting us into. It is much easier to, to defile things than it is to make them holy. And so as we dive into a text like this, we're like, okay, thank you for that. Like, you just summarized the entire book of Leviticus, but good for you. Like, Haggai is 38 verses. Why is he using three of the verses to talk about cleanliness and uncleanliness? Like, why would Haggai use this precious time that he has kind of talking about this? Like, what is, what is the point here? And so here's what we've got to begin to see as we look at the book of Haggai as a whole. This has been about three months of the time that has crossed from this moment from Haggai chapter 1. When the, when the moment of Haggai shows up on the scene and God speaks to the people of Israel and says, why are you living in these fancy houses? Why are you living in these luxurious homes? Why my temple lies in ruin? And so to start with, the people are really excited. They're enthused. They're cut to the heart. They're convicted about this. And so they get up and they're like, okay, let's build this temple. Let's do this. And I don't know if you've ever done a remodeling project, but cleaning rubble isn't really exciting. Assessing the damage and the structure of the walls, they're not really excited. And the people of Israel, they're, they're just getting a little tired. They're getting a little bummed at this. This isn't ex as exciting as they thought it was going to be. And the reality is they've been in the middle of this and nothing has changed. 
Their hearts are still the same place they were. The temple's still not built. It's still lying in ruins. Like, what is happening? What is causing this? And Haggai is getting to the people. He's letting them know, hey, here's the issue. We find it in verse 14. He writes this. Haggai responded, and that is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by sin. Catch that last statement. Everything they do, everything they offer is defiled by sin. Why hasn't things changed? Because there's been some things in them that haven't changed. Everything they do, every single thing they touch is defiled by sins. And here's the reality in our lives. Like we can continue trying to do all of these good things for God. We can continue to try to show up on the weekends. We can continue to to talk to our friends about Jesus. We can continue to, to try to read our Bibles. We can continue to do all these really good things. If our heart is defiled by sin, it's not gonna matter. Because everything we do and everything we touch is defiled by sin. And here's... Here's the point. We cannot hope to do the work that God has for us if we remain defiled by sin. We cannot hope to do the things that God wants for us to do if our heart is mired and it is gross with sin in our lives. Now, I just want to set this up. I'm not talking about this unrealistic perfection. I'm not saying you have to be perfect to do things for God if so none of us would do anything for him. But what I'm talking about is this lifestyle that we know the right thing to do. We just, we just don't do it. That's what it looks like to be defiled by sin. We know that it's wrong to go out on the weekends and get drunk or any other day of the week. We just do it anyway. We know that it's wrong to be sleeping around. We just, we just do it anyway. We just don't care. We know that it's wrong to log onto the website and, and watch porn. We just do it anyway. We know that it's wrong to be cheating on our taxes or cheating on our, in our business. We know that it's wrong to lie. We just, we just do it anyway. And if that is the lifestyle, if that is what we have, nothing we do, we can't hope to do the things that God has for us because our lives are contaminated by sin. And that is what's happening to the people of Israel. They have spent their lives contaminated by sin and they're trying to do all these good things but there's a deeper problem that's going on in them. There's something more that is happening than just the building of the temple. Listen again, everything you do, everything you touch, everything you offer is defiled by sin. So the question I think that it raises for each of us this morning is, is what is it? Like, what is the thing? Like, what has caused this defilement in their life? What has caused the sin to continue to take root in their heart? So just a little history of the people of Israel. Israel has been in captivity in Babylon for a long time. Finally, they make their way, they exit out of Babylon, they go back to their homeland, they go back to, they go back to Jerusalem. And as they get there, they've been there for 15 years at this point. And so maybe their defilement has been, you know, as they were in Babylon, they intermarried with people they shouldn't have married. It's possible. Maybe as they were in Babylon, they picked up some of the, the rituals that were going on in Babylon. Like, there's a reason that whenever we refer to something super sinful, we call it Babylon, right? Like, maybe they picked up some of those things. And that's possible. But you know what I think? You know what I think has defiled them? I think it's the 15 years between when they have returned back to Jerusalem to now, where they have just been indifferent towards God. 
That's where I think their defilement lies. It's the 15 years that this temple has lied in ruin, where they have built these nice houses for themselves, where they've made these lovely vineyards for themselves, where they've just been living life, why God's house lies in ruins. That's what I think is the defilement. It's this years of inactivity towards God that has defiled them. And I think that might be true of all of us in this room. Now, there's not many of us, I'd say, that many of us in this room, we outright reject God. I don't think many of us are just, I don't think that's us. And if it is you, let me just talk to you for a second. If you've just lived your life outright rejecting God, man, we're glad you're here. God's glad that you're here. We just sang a song about there is not a shadow that he won't light up, a, a wall that he won't kick down. He's coming after you. So if that is how you've lived your life, man, God is after you. God is chasing you. He is pursuing you in spite of all of that. But I don't know if it's most of us in the room. I think most of us in a room like this, we are the, we're, we're more like the people of Israel. Man, you give out a questionnaire, we'll say, yeah, absolutely, I'm a Christian. I sure am a follower of Jesus. But the commands, the mission, the, the calling of God have left dormant in our lives for years. We're not rejecting him, we're just... We're just kind of indifferent towards him. And this is where the people are. And here's the reality. Is God's people no longer resemble God because they have spent their lives apart from God? Let me just, why don't you hear that again? The people of God no longer resemble God because they have spent years of their lives apart from God. And can I just ask, like, what do you expect if you live your life apart from God long enough, what do you expect is going to happen? What do you think it's going to be like? So just an aside, all right, Bobby didn't ask me to do this. I'm just going to do it on my own. Showing up to church on the weekend is really important. We cannot do this together, or we can't do this without each other. We can't do this alone. Showing up to different Bible studies and community groups, those things are absolutely necessary for our faith, because if we live our lives apart from God long enough, we're going to start resembling the people. We're going to look like the people of Israel. We're just going to live our life indifferent. We need one another to come alongside of us to help push us towards to looking the way that God wants us to look, to living out the mission that God has for us. And you guys are here, so I know I'm talking to the choir, but like, let's keep showing up. Because if not, we're not going to continue to resemble the people that God has and here's the, or God wants from us. And here's the reality. Our lives are going to resemble something. It's just a matter of what. We talk about this idea at our church all the time about spiritual formation. And we are all formed by something. Your spirit is formed by something, whether it's the news, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram or the Bible, whatever you want it to be, your, your, your spirit is going to be formed by something. So what is it going to be? And so these people, they've started to look farther away from God because they look less like God because they've spent their lives apart from him. And our lives are going to begin to start taking shape of the people that we're surrounding ourselves with. Remember when I was, I was 15, 14 or 15 years old, the first and the last time that I said the F word out loud. Uh, me and my brother Matthew, we had just gone to the, the metropolis of Columbia, if you guys are familiar, like it's not much, but there's, there's a few gas stations. And so we went to the gas station and we went and got some drinks and some snacks and, and I had been spending a lot of time with people who were not a great influence on me. 
I had been spending around, my time around people that would use all kinds of terrible language, and, and I would hear it, and maybe I'd say it in my head, but I had developed a really sophisticated filter so it wouldn't come out of my mouth. And, and so I could think it, but I wouldn't say it. And, and, but I'd spent my time around all of these people, and Matthew and I, we get out of his truck, and I've got my sun drop, and I don't know, probably a Snickers, and I step out of his truck, and I have on a brand new pair of Sperry's. Like, they're real nice. Like, they don't even have a scuff on them yet. And I step out of the truck, and I step on a marshmallow. And that's all it took for that filter to be gone like that. First and the last time, because my brother was not very happy with my language at the moment. And so I was just thinking, it's like, what do I expect? If I'm surrounding myself with people who are using this language, something significant and as important as a marshmallow and my new shoes, if that's all it takes to break down that filter, I mean, what, what can I expect? And what we begin to resemble what we, what we spend our time with and who we spend our time with. We're seeing this even with our daughter, Ava. So our daughter, Ava, she's four years old, and she goes to this thing called play school. It's kind of like, kind of like preschool. And as she's there, she's in, she's in school with kids who are Irish. Now, like, I've lived in Ireland for six years. I don't have the Irish accent. We already mentioned that. But her teachers do. And the kids that she goes to school do. And she has this friend called Patty. But they kind of call it, like, Potty. And, like, and I'll say, hey, hey, how was Patty today? No, no, Daddy, it's Potty. I'm like, sure it is. Or, or she has this friend called Zara. I was like, Ava, do you play with your friend Zara today? No, it's Zara. I'm like, pretty sure I'm saying it. And, and, the, and the worst, she has this friend called Sophie Kelly. But it's not Sophie Kelly, it's Sophie Kelly. I'm like, whatever, honey. And it's like, but here's the thing, she's just hearing these people, they, the people who have the accent, who are saying it this way, and we're not saying it right because we can't say it that way. And what we begin to do is we begin to resemble that who we spend our time around. So for 15 years, the people of Israel have been indifferent towards God's and their hearts show it. Everything they do and everything they touch has been defiled by sin because they have lived their lives apart from the commands and the call of God for their lives. And the temple remains in ruins, and so do their hearts, and so do their lives. And here are the results of their defilement. Let's keep going in verse 15. It says this. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. I want us just to catch that before we go on. That word, before. It's really important. Because what does before mean? It means there's an after. It means there's a, a now. There means there's a future. There's something more that was happening. And so what he's doing is he's calling the people, Haggai is calling the people, to, hey, look at what life was like before, those 15 years that you lived in different. Look at those things. Because this is what life was before. Man, it's my hope and it's my prayer that every single one of us in this room right now have a before moment where our lives were heading in a certain direction and then we met Jesus and everything has changed and everything is different now. My life was going in this direction before I met Jesus and now everything has changed. Man, if that's, that's not you, if you don't have a before, today's the day. Enough's enough. Quit living a life of indifference. Quit, quit living a life defiled by sin. Let's have a before story starting today. And so he tells the people of Israel, hey, look back over those last 15 years where you've built these really nice homes, but the temple reminds, remains in ruin. And he reads this. He says this, verse 16 and 17. When you hoped... 
For a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. You and you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. And I want to make sure. I want to make sure we notice something. Every single one of these verbs, they're in the past tense. Did you guys catch that? Hoped, harvested, expected, found, sent, worked, refused. They're all in the past tense. Why? Because of that word before. Because that's how things were before. But now things are going to be different. Why? Because on the 18th day of December, something new has happened. Because before that day, everything is changing on that moment. And before we get to this moment where everything changed, there is this gut check statement for me. And this is one that as I've wrestled with this passage, like I continue to struggle with. So he talks about, I sent blight and mildew and hell to destroy everything you work for. You wanted to harvest this much and you only got this much. You hoped to get this much wine and it was only this much. Things are not going the well that you, you hoped. There, catch this statement. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Man, I struggle with that statement because I'm just asking these questions. Is what is it going to take? What is it going to take for the people of Israel to return back to God? Because one of the things that we see through Scripture is every time God disciplines his people, it's for a very specific reason. It is to drive the people back to him. And so God, when we see this word, I sent, it's clear that God is the one who is sending and he's doing this stuff. He's doing it in an attempt to draw the people back to him and they still refuse. And I think about the people of Israel, like, what is it gonna take for them? I mean, God is already, they're not producing the, the grain that they hope. They're not producing the wine that they hope. Their house is being full of mildew. They're, there's blight. They're, I don't even know what blight is, but it doesn't sound good. And there's hail. And there's all these other things that are going on. And even still, they continue to reject God. And the question that just eats at me is the people of Israel is like, guys, what is it going to take? Maybe you're sitting here in this room indifferent to God for your entire lives. Here's my question for you is, is what is it going to take? How many failed relationships are you going to have to have before you realize that doing things the way that God wanted you to do them is the best? How much pain of divorce are you going to have to walk through before you realize maybe I should live, maybe I should live out the mission that God has? How many empty jobs, empty dreams, empty promises, empty hopes are you going to have to have left that are just empty because you're not following the way? How, what, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for you to finally say, today is the day, enough is enough, let's go, let's go and walk the way with Jesus? You guys familiar with the monkey trap? So what they ended up, what they would do like, to catch monkeys is they would take a coconut and they would drill a hole in it and they'd put some fruit or some rice or some other stuff in it and the monkey would go and he'd stick his hand in the coconut and then he'd grab the stuff but then he couldn't get it out when his fist was balled up. And that's literally what it would take to catch a monkey. All the monkey has to do is let go. And it's free. And you know, monkeys are silly, right? Because I've never held on to something that's kept me away from God and remained in captivity before. I'm sure you haven't either. I mean, just start thinking about this. Why stay trapped 
and sin and death? Why stay trapped when freedom is available? Just think about the monkey for a minute. Like, what is better, the fruit or freedom? Think about our lives. What's better, an average life or an abundant life? What's better, temporary pleasure or pleasures forevermore? What's better, life or death? And here's the reality. Some of us might have to let go of some things that are really good. That fruit might be really tasty. That, that relationship might be really enjoyable. That job might be really fun. That, that career, that title might be something that we really like, but we know that it is killing our soul. We know it's not what God has for us, so we have to let go. But here's the reality we see through Scripture is that Jesus is better, and he is worth it every single time. And so we let go, and we walk the way that God has for us. And as we begin to see this in the, in the lives of the people of Israel, like it's pretty obvious. Life has not gone the way that they thought it would. I bet they were expecting this really exciting things to happen after they moved back to Israel and they were going to have this beautiful temple, but wait, we don't have houses. And they've waited and their lives haven't gone the way that they've expected them to go. Anyone been that way? Maybe you had some hopes and some dreams and dr plans and life just hasn't quite worked out. Maybe you thought, if I just get to that number on the scale, then my life will be satisfied. If I just get that promotion, then everything will be fine. If I can just date that girl or that guy, if I can just get that one more degree or that one more thing on my resume, if I can just get all these things, then life is going to be the way that I want it to be. And then you get there and we're like, well, that was not what I was hoping. So if your life just feels empty, if your life just doesn't reach the way that you thought it would gonna go, could it be, just possibly, that your life has just been a life of disobedience toward God? Because one of the things that we see throughout scripture is disobedience hinders blessings from God. So could it be, just maybe, that if our lives aren't quite going the direction that we wanted them to go, that we have just lived our lives in disobedience towards God? Could that be one of the things that we're, we're going to see? And so as we dive in, as we see in Haggai, he says, like, he asks these rhetorical questions. Can, can things that are clean transfer their cleanliness onto things that are unclean? No. Can things that are dirty transfer their dirtiness onto things that are clean? Yes. But here's the thing. Read through the book of Leviticus. There are plenty of rules and regulations for how the people of Israel can get clean. Oddly enough, like I was telling Bobby this, the book of Leviticus as a whole is my favorite book in the Old Testament. We can talk about why later. It's an incredible book. Weird, yes, but it's, it's incredible. But God gives the people of Israel all these different ways that they can be clean outwardly. But the problem was never about the outward cleanliness. The issue for the people of Israel was never about outward cleanliness. The reason that God gave all these rituals wasn't just because he liked your hands to be washed 17 times and do all these crazy things. It's because there is a deeper problem within us is we have this internal uncleanliness that we've got to deal with. And here's the reality is God's saving grace is the only hope for our spiritual and inward uncleanliness. 
You can turn to other things. You can chase after whatever it may be, but it is only by the grace of God that our uncleanliness on the inside is going to be dealt with. It is only by God that we are going to be, we're going to be cleansed. So let's look at the last two things that he says, verses 18 and 19. He says, think about this 18th day of December, the day where the foundations of the Lord temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you this promise now that the seed is in the barn. We have not yet harvested, and we have not yet harvested grain. Your grapevines, your fig trees, pomegranates, or olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. And I love this. Think about that 18th day. Man, he is saying, grab a Sharpie, circle that day on the calendar so that you never forget the moment when everything changed. Here's a day. Commit it to memory. Remember this day because everything has changed. So three months later, finally, the foundation has been laid and God wants him to carefully remember that day. And I think it's fascinating. As we walk through this passage, we get all three times, like God says, hey, look back, look to today and look forward. And he's telling us, like, we are not going to be spiritually lazy. We are to carefully think about the past, the present, and the future. And this is what we're meant to remember. We are meant to remember the way that our lives were heading. Now, we don't need to harp on our sin and keep remembering that, but we need to remember where our lives looked like when we were apart from Jesus and we never want to go back there. And we can remember that day where everything changed. We continue to look forward to the future when God is going to do some new things, when God is going to bless us. So don't be spiritually lazy or complacent. Continue working, continue doing the things that God has for you. Man, I love the three statements in verse 19. Man, they're so beautiful. God says first, I am giving you this promise. When God makes a promise, he keeps his promises, right? He is saying, I am stamping this. You can stake my name on this because I am promising you this. And why would God, why would God do this in spite of everything that they have done? Like, do the people of Israel, do they deserve this promise from God? No. Like, have they earned it? No, the temple still lies in ruin. Why is God giving them this promise? Because these are God's people. And God loves them. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and you guys have heard me say this. And a couple of, couple of weeks ago, we were, we were having a moment with our four-year-old. And parents in the room, like, you know the moment. Like, where everything is just like, you're going to go to bed or one of us is going to, like, lose all of our hair. And it's already me. But, like, this is, like, where you're at your just wit's end. And, like, we were so frustrated. We were annoyed. We were aggravated. Like, Ava, you need to go to bed. I don't want to hear anything out of you for the rest of the night. And, like, we were just losing it. And then she just starts to cry. And, like, I'm like, okay, that's probably a little harsh. And so, like, I go and I tell her, like, listen to me. I'm really angry with you right now, but there is not a single day that I will love you less, that every single day I'm going to love you more and more. It is not dictated how good or how bad you are. I love you because you are my kid. Now go to sleep. (laughs) I think that's God though, right? Saying it's not dictated how good you are or what you've done. I am making this promise. Why? Because you are mine and that's it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but you are mine, and that's all it takes. So God is making this promise, and he says this. He goes on to say, I am giving you this promise. And he says at the very end, from this day onward, from this moment, 
In a wedding ceremony, my favorite line in a wedding ceremony is that moment of when they say, from this day forward. Because it's a reminder that it doesn't matter what has happened in the past, that what matters is today and every single day from then on. And isn't this so much like God? To just be willing to forget the sinfulness of his people and say, hey, from now on, I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be good to you because that is who I am. Isn't, a, isn't it beautiful to know that we have a God that forgets and doesn't hold this against us? And the final thing God says is in, at the end of verse 19, he says, I will bless you. God is going to be the one who blesses the nation. He's going to bless his people. He loves them. He's going to treat them in this way. Man, the same thing is true of us. One of my favorite calls in the scripture is in Genesis chapter 12, where God says to to Abraham, he says, through you, all the descendants of the world will be blessed. And so we have been redeemed so that we can redeem the world around us. We have been loved so we can love one another. We have been forgiven so that we can forgive each other. We have been loved so that we can love the world around us. And so God is saying, I'm going to bless you, and you are going to go, and you are going to continue to be a blessing to the nations. And after 15 years of indifference, after 15 years of rebellion, God says, today's the day. I am going to start blessing you now. The foundation is being laid, and I am going to bless you. And just like that, God quits holding the sinfulness against them. God quits, and he just loves them. And so, here's the reality, is God wants to do the same thing for you. Is God wants to to have this day forward, this moment where everything changes for you. And so what we see with the book of Haggai, with the people of Israel, this rebuilding the temple is actually a step of obedience that begins to receive the blessings that God has for them. And so I'm just metaphorically speaking, what are some temples in your life that need to be rebuilt? What are some acts of obedience in your life that you need to take so that you can start being the people of God that you're meant to be. Let's, let's not ask this metaphorically. Let's ask this literally. What step of obedience do you need to take towards God today? What step of obedience do you need to take towards God today? Maybe for you, it's you need to, you need to end the relationship. Whether it's a business partnership or a friend or dating. Maybe it's you need to cancel the subscription Maybe today the step of obedience is to stop chasing this selfish dream. Maybe the step of obedience that you need to take this morning is to admit that you have a problem and find some real help for the struggles that you have. Maybe you'll say it's not an addiction and you could fix it any time that you want, and if that's true, you would have done it a long time ago. So maybe today that's the moment. Is That's the step of obedience you need to make. Maybe today the, the step of obedience you need to make is I am going to commit to this church. I'm going to commit to giving. I'm going to commit to serving. I'm going to commit to living my life on mission to God. Maybe that's the step of obedience you need to take. Maybe today the step of obedience you need to take is you need to forgive that person. And you've tried. And you don't want to do it. Maybe today that's the step of obedience that you need to take is to, to forgive that person. Maybe today the step you need to take is to step into the waters of baptism and and be saved. So what is it today? What step of obedience do you need to take today? What step do you need to take to God? Today is the day to circle this day on the calendar. Today is the day where everything in your life can change. 
And so we started the sermon by talking about usually uncleanliness is more contagious than cleanliness. That is, unless you're Jesus, then you get to play by your own rules. When you're Jesus, everything gets to be a little different. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has a moment with, a, a, with someone with leprosy. This is a beautiful interaction with Jesus. In Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4, here's what happens. So Jesus just finished giving the Sermon on the Mount. And says, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him. He knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been publicly healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. There's a few things I want us to see. First of all, is this leper, this guy with leprosy, he approaches Jesus. And that's bold. In that day, the lepers, what they had to do is they had to go outside of the, the town or the village that they lived. They had to live out at the city gates outside because leprosy was incredibly contagious. And so they weren't allowed to approach other people. They actually had to walk around with a bell around their neck so everyone could hear them coming. And anytime someone got close, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. I don't know if you guys know this. You know how far people had to stay away from someone with leprosy? Six foot. So if you felt you got treated like leprosy when COVID was a thing, you got treated like a leper, guess what? You did. Right. Fun fact. But they had to spend all this time away. The leper was never to approach anyone else. Instead, they were going to be shout, unclean, unclean. But there was something different about Jesus that made this guy think that he could risk it all. And he goes and he approaches Jesus. And I love the statement that he says to Jesus. He says, if you're willing, Jesus is like, yeah, bro, I'm willing. And I think that's what Jesus would tell every single one of you right now and Maybe you start to look through your life. You start looking at the uncleanliness that you have in your heart, and you start wondering, man, is Jesus willing to make me clean? Do I have to fix some things first? No, because Jesus is willing. So let me just tell you, be like the leper. Approach him. Go towards him, because Jesus, he is willing. And the final thing I want you to see is in verse, verse 3. The very beginning of verse 3, it says, Jesus reached out and touched him. It seems really kind of insignificant, just a little, tiny little detail. But there is so much beauty and so much power in this simple little statement. Like, why would Jesus do something like that? I mean, Jesus, this is the same Jesus who can say to the wind and the waves, hey, calm down, and they stop. This is the same Jesus, this is the same God who said, let there be light, and the world began its existence. This is the same Jesus that can heal people like, like far away. He can just speak it in another town, in another village, and they are healed. This is the same Jesus. Jesus could have easily said to this lad who was six foot away, like, hey, you're healed. Jesus doesn't do that. No, Jesus goes, and Jesus touches him. Just picture this for a moment. Man, this leopard has spent years of his life, he hasn't been able to kiss his wife. He hasn't been able to hug his kids. He hasn't been able to give that good, firm handshake. He hasn't been able to, to be around. He hasn't even been able to brush shoulders with people. And Jesus touches him. 
because that's what Jesus does. Because Jesus' cleanliness is more contagious than our uncleanliness. I believe the cry of the scriptures to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when we experience the goodness of God, man, our sin struggle, it loses its power. When we've experienced the cleanliness of Jesus, everything begins to change. And here's the reality, is Jesus is the only way to cleanliness. He's our only way. So man, it's my prayer today. Be like the leper. Approach him. Because Jesus is willing. He's willing to meet you in the mess of your life. He's not intimidated by that. He's not afraid of it. In fact, he knows your sin more deeply and more truly than anyone, but he loves you more than anyone. So we're already going to have a baptism later. Let's have some more. Maybe today that's the step of obedience you need to take. And so Bobby's going to be up here on the end, on the side. If you guys have a decision to make, maybe it's to be baptized, maybe it's to be part of this church, maybe it's just you need some prayer because there's some things in your life that you need dealt with. Let's do that today. Make that step of obedience today. Circle this day, the 21st of May on the calendar when everything changed. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, thank you that you're willing. That you're not caught off guard by our sinfulness. You're not caught off guard by the mess that we've made in our own lives. But God, you are willing to step down into the mess. You did step down into the mess 2,000 years ago when you left heaven and came to earth knowing the mess that we would make of things. But you did it because you loved us enough. And God, I just pray that today that then there, all of us, Whatever the step of obedience we need to make is today, I pray that we make it. Maybe some of us in the room, it's giving our lives to you for the very first time. Maybe for others of us, we've been a follower of yours for for years. And we just needed some hearts, our heart to be revived for the mission that you have for us, to living out your call. God, whatever it may be, I pray that today is the day we make it, that this is the day where everything changes, that our life of disobedience begins to disappear and our life of faithfulness begins. Amen. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement MC.